0: I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2019 Strip-Till Farmer Podcast Series. In today's program, we share more from our visit with strip-tiller Larry Tombaugh on his Streeter, Illinois farm to learn about some of the biological applications and improvements he's making in his cropping operation. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com/growing-solutions. Well, Streeter, Illinois strip-tiller Larry Tombaugh has enjoyed his share of rewards that come with the risk of experimenting with fertilizer application. The sixth-generation farmer began no-tilling 40 years ago and transitioned to strip-till, seeking higher corn and soybean yields through targeted fertilizer placement and a drier seedbed. Larry acknowledges that he's not a purist when it comes to strip-till, but after more than 20 years in the practice he feels a little bit of strategic tillage in his dark soils in northern Illinois is a good thing. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, we continue the conversation with Larry about his strip-till origins and a detailed look at some of the ways he supplements his system with biological additives to improve soil health and yields.
1: And I guess looking at the rearview mirror, not completely 2019, but to this point, Mm -hmm. we think that farmers that gave up on their crop, their crop gave up on them. Because we have a number of customers that had all the right things going into it. Uh, Maybe they were a little delayed with planting because of uh, the wet season in the spring. But then they just kind of phoned it in after that, and they're saying, wow, the years of my My corn is a lot smaller, girth, than it usually is. And said, well, what did you do after you... Well, no, we put all our nitrogen up front. Well, you lost a lot of that. We put our, you know, basic package and stuff. And this is the kind of thing that we say that, uh, well... Kathy thinks that I have a, an ongoing affair with a girl named Hagee, because every, about every night I'm out in the field with Hagee, and we're spraying some um, rescue treatments, you know, we're, we're getting some biologicals, we're getting some micros on there when they need them and different things and we're hoping to make a difference. Uh, not everybody thinks that they can do that. Foliar feeding to us is really important and there's a lot of misconceptions about it. I know Beck's in their booklet said the best time to uh, to do foliar was 8 o'clock in the morning and we found that not to be true. That uh, Michigan State did some tests way back 25, 30 years ago and they found that plants absorb for only 25 to 45 seconds. So you don't want to have some foliar application that's got 15 or 20 gallons of water, because it's just just water. They need the nutrients. So you're looking for three to five gallons of mostly concentrated nutrients. And they also found that plants in the morning actually harvest sunlight. And so they don't want to be messing around with that. But in the afternoon, they process the sugars that they're forming. And that's when they need the nutrient load. Case in point, we actually treat about 500,000 pounds of uh, edible bean seed for Jack's Beans out in Holyoke, Colorado. In the last couple years they liked what we were doing so they asked to use our foliar program. They had two center pivots, 160 acres, right across the road from each other and they asked us you know, to give them a foliar program. Well we didn't want to use the center pivots because we wanted to get precise with a, a land rig. So at 730 at night they did the first one and they sprayed it and then the next one is going to be 730 the next night a farm manager came about 10.30 in the morning, and the spray rig is pulling out of the second field. He said, hey, wait, wait, what what are you doing? He said, well, we had a gap in the schedule. We got you done early. He said, no, no, you don't understand. It's all time-sensitive and stuff. So he said, well, it's done now. So all the costs were the same. They took it to harvest. The first crop, which put it when we wanted it, had 600 pounds to the acre more edible beans at 50 cents a pound. It made $300 to the acre difference in the net just by being... The timing being right.
2: So when you're going out there with, with the Haggy, <laughs> yes, you know what? What are you? What are you putting on there? You mentioned obviously trying to. You, that was a, a good comment, I think. You know, giving up the crop, and the crop will give up on you. And, and right. obviously, there's still probably work to be done here to to kind of get things you know where you'd like them to be towards the end right. of the year. So when when you're going out there, what are some of the things you're doing to, to kind of? Uh,
1: well, we do have we do have some exist. You know some. Established protocols that we use. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's certain products at certain times, depending on the life cycle. And unfortunately, I don't have that right with me. But early on, we use a product called Integrate that has uh, oh, a lot of cytokine and gibberellic. You know, it's really good for root growth. We a little bit of sugar and uh, some other micronutrient packs that we put on. We have some in, in the furrow, then some we start in at, you know, R3, R5, I'm sorry, V3, V5. V5 is when corn decides what its yield is going to be. And so you put a corn plant into a in cold ground and it's got its roots down there. It's kind of feeling its way and it's like, yeah, hey, I don't know if this is 200 bushel or not. But if you get it down there, because we're firm believers of putting it right in the row and then also having two by two by two by yetter is what I've got on my planter. You know, you have it there. And the plant says, wow, I'm in the land of milk and honey. I'm going for 600 bushels of the acre. It's got to be assured that it's going to be having that. Of course, this spring, it was hard to get that, you know, in cold conditions. The guys around here that really screwed up, they have the best corn. You know, some people put corn in in April. The ground was dry, great for planting, but the, it was too cold. Well, these corn hybrids have gotten so much better on cold germ tests now that, boy, they look great. And even the ones that planted a week later and they lucked out, but it wasn't perfect. But if we knew we weren't going to get perfect, we'd all been out there. Because <laughs> I remember, you know, some of the last that I did was, you know, it was like right before the June 5th planting deadline and we mudded some in. I didn't like it. It's going to be okay. But uh, just felt that we had to do it. But anyway, we tried to... Uh, Get a nutrient package down early so that it's got things there. One thing that people don't realize is that uh, nitrogen is important early because if if you don't have enough nitrogen early, you won't express the BT gene. That's pretty important. At V5, corn is deciding its yield. At uh, V8 to 10, it's deciding how many around and uh, stuff like that. So a lot of people... And I'm kind of surprised that some of the corn that we have around here looks as good as it does because they basically put anhydrous down in the strips in the fall, and I don't think they came back with any after that. And I'm sure they would have lost it. So they must have had some more nitrogen in their package someplace else. For us, we basically have the strips, then we're just putting the 10 package in the furrow and the 2x2. Two two, excuse me. And then we come back with a side application with our spike wheel. This year we spiked twice and then we use Y-drops late. One of the things that I think is worth noting is that nitrogen in excess is deleterious to the crop. The corn crop has the ability to parcel out phosphorus and potash, but nitrogen, it's a hog for it. And it gets too much and it actually plugs the foam in the bottom parts of the roots. If you go into a cornfield you know, mid-season and you see that it's got a secondary adventitious root, That's basically a stint, like you're putting in for a heart stint or something like that, because the phloem is plugged up enough, it's not getting what it needs, and so it says, hey, some more roots, get out there and go get some stuff, and that's what it is. I've been amazed that this year, a lot of the early corn only had the basic roots right on the ground and never put the secondary roots on, so that tells me they had the nutrient package that they were looking for.
0: We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast series possible. And I also wanted to remind you about the new series featuring monthly on our podcast, Tech Tips, with Dr. Ray Acevedo, where the former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for TopCon Agriculture, shares insights and advice on some of the latest precision tools and how to best implement them on your operation. You can listen to past technology tips and also find accompanying articles at striptillfarmer.com. Well, let's get back to the program now and hear more from Larry Tombaugh as he discusses some of the scouting tools he deploys on his operation.
1: Looking at the the condition of the plant, the plant will tell you, you know, what it needs. Another product that we use, I mean, I like some of the scouting. We have... uh, you know climate, but then I'm also using Air Scout, and so we get thermal imaging, we get NVDI, DVDI, and all the different tools weekly from planes that fly over. Not just drones, not by satellites. We really like the results, the reports that we're getting to that, so we can track just what the the health is. But then we do tissue tests too to to ground truth it and then try and compensate with our foliar feeding with that.
2: So how, how valuable in a year like this are, are tools like that? I've talked to some other farmers that maybe do some aerial scouting, kind of played around with getting some imagery from a drone or right. you know, trying to, to process it, but I mean obviously you, you may have some more triple spots that you want to identify right. in, you know in a year like this I mean for you how, how valuable is, is are those tools?
1: well, if you don't use them they're just toys, mm-hmm. and obviously I haven't used them as much as I would have wanted maybe because I would have variable rate some of the things when I identify zones, but they are uh, better to, to identify zones, and uh, I think if if you use them, I think going forward this was a new you know phenomenon for me so I'm hoping in years going forward I'll be able to utilize them more. That's the thing, we're so overloaded with data, but sometimes it's just like, get me the basics, make decisions off of that. I don't know. The only way you tell is once you get done with the crop, and even after that, uh, in the wintertime, we might say, oh, there's what uh, that meant, and that's Mm -hmm. what I should do in the future, but it's it's a learning curve.
2: So how much are you feeding through the climate?
1: Well we're doing all our foliar stuff off of that, and tissue tests, basically you know, that's a lot. We're not putting anything down. We've been, you know, our ground is in really pretty good shape. My cation exchange capacity is running, you know, 20 to 32, which is, is pretty good. A pH, since we haven't used anhydrous now for about 15 years, we don't have to put lime on because our pH stays right in the 6.5, 6.7 range, which is a sweet spot. One of the telling things, I think, is the fact that we're able to go out in the in the cornfield in December and pull up a, a stock corn stalk, with two feet of roots on it. We're really careful about not having compaction. We really believe in cover crops. And part of the one of the things that we just changed last year, we had been trying to figure out how to get cover crops, especially cereal rye, going into corn stalks. And we had tried aerial with some success. We had tried vertical tillage and then drilling it in. But that really spread the, the, the window. And when I try and talk to people, I say, you need to look at your farm holistically. You know, we've made a lot of changes from like when you did the article on me back four or five years ago. And I said, oh, you know, I want to do these things. I've been doing those things. We put in tile on all my ground. We put in uh, cap stand pinpoint on my sprayer so it automatically uh, modulates ten times a second. It shuts off and everything. We just this this spring put in precision, all the precision stuff, not all of them, but a big chunk of them. So that gives me a lot more flexibility to know exactly where I'm planting, get it shut off on row flow, uh, be able to have zones and variable rate that, and, and things, things going forward like that. You need to remind me what I was talking about. This is terrible. You, you'll know when you get to be my age. It's, I burn. I'm losing so many brain cells. Uh, I had a really good point that I was going to bring up, too, but uh, I was thinking too far ahead of
2: myself. You were talking about kind of cover cropping.
1: Oh, cover crops. That's what I wanted to tell you about. So there we go. Thanks. I need to have an assistant like Jack to say, you you were talking about. Okay. All right. So we tried a number of different things. I mean, I tried cover crops 15 years ago, and we had great results. The cereal rye got up about this tall and (laughs) died. Didn't realize I had carryover in herbicides. I mean, that's a big problem, too. You have to be careful to have. And that's why I talk to people about being holistically. So one of the things that we've gone to is we've got air dry bins, which you get better quality grain. But it also gives you the advantage that you really want to start. They're most efficient at about 25%. So we start in, and, and as soon as corn gets 26 25%, we're throwing corn in the bin, turning the fans on, capturing some of the the, the warm air, usually the end of September this year. It might not be quite that. But also, we changed... Uh, my neighbor is a pro-harvest uh, seed salesman, and he's got a three-point spinner spreader. And as soon as I get 50 acres done, I say, Hey, Jay, I got 50 acres done. He comes in and spreads it and hits it with a 40-foot roller and gets it down... And we spray our residue digester over that as quick as we can. One of the things some of our studies have shown, the quicker that you can get those stalks in with the juice in them, instead of letting them dry off and then they get brittle and stuff, you get so much better uh, nutrient benefit that. But you also get it breaking down quicker. The microbes have that sugar. We're adding sugar, so it's not so much of a difference. And we're adding nitrogen even though it's only about 5 gallons of 28 to the acre with sugar and a gallon of humic to stabilize the nitrogen. But the humic also feeds the microbes. That's the biggest thing. I actually eat a teaspoonful of dry humic uh, 3 or 4 times a week to feed the microbes in my gut because they need the carbon, but then those 65, 70 uh, micronutrients, if they need it, they use it. If not, it's just expensive excrement. You know, It doesn't cost very much. Like I say, if it's only 30 cents a pound and a pound lasts me, Six months, so it's not, <laughs> it's not a big deal. So, but uh, I think that's going to be a, a good thing because you know we've got the system where we can get the corn off earlier, and I can get the, the cover crop, the cereal rye. The, we're still grappling with what to do on soybeans. You know, I want to be doing some things, but you know, when you have legumes and stuff, you don't have a very long season. To get that. I want to get something on them. I thought about double cropping soybeans, you know, if I could find cheap soybeans, just Mm. putting them out there just so they would catch the wind, stop the snow, and and they'd die off. But that's still a work in progress. We haven't figured that out. But cover crops are absolutely essential. You know, when I look in the bean field and I'm checking the the beans when we're planting, you know, if I I can't find one or two uh, worms in an 18-inch I'm upset you know so we are we are making progress I knew we were doing good things tile is absolutely essential I mean I know I'm preaching to the choir lots of times but tile you have to have that air space even though we've been dry the last six weeks about five weeks ago my tiles were still running mm. and it's just takes it just takes out excess water the tile lets you have you know the, what you're looking for 25 percent air 25 percent water and 50 percent uh, soil and that's that's what you need.
2: So are you primarily just sticking with the cereal, rye, and the corn at
1: this point? We're talking about some things, you know, some of our customers down in South Texas have got some pretty interesting cocktails they use and thought about implementing some of those, but I really don't want to put canola in. (laughs) I don't want to have uh, canola weeds. You know, we've been talking about some vetch and some other legumes and stuff.
0: Well, thank you, Larry, for sharing some experiences on how you've evolved your on-farm laboratory with nutrient management experiences. Well, thank you, Larry, for sharing some experience on how you've evolved your on-farm laboratory with nutrient management experiments. Again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping make this strip-till farmer podcast series possible. And I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program. So feel free to drop me an email at jzemlika at or give me a call at 262 777 2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip till practices impacting your farm by registering online at strip till farmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at till F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2019 podcast series. For Larry Tombaugh, TopCon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Samlica Thanks for listening.